The person who was sort of doing the uh, makeup uh, prior to the interview was um, uh, Justin Trudeau's hairdresser, and she basically asked me if I'd be interested in doing a um, charity boxing event uh, with Justin Trudeau, and so uh, I immediately um, uh, accepted because at the time I was no fan of his, and uh, I think the same could be said about uh, about him towards me. He he was no fan of mine, so uh, that's that's essentially how it all started. everyone. Welcome to Tourist Information. This week's guest is Senator Patrick Brazo. Uh, this is a weird one because uh, I'm a recovering Canadian, 10 years in New York City. Uh, Patrick occupies a, a very interesting role in Canadian history, which is a charity boxing match that he had with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau springboarded Trudeau into that position probably more than any other event and this was documented in Rolling Stone and a number of other publications but it was a charity boxing match on behalf of cancer and uh, the loser had to have their hair cut and just through the accident of boxing Brazo, a big strong indigenous Canadian young senator one of the I think one of the youngest senators ever um, gave Trudeau an opportunity to not look like a wimpy liberal. And uh, at first, Brazo really was getting the better of the current prime minister, and Trudeau was able to overcome some initial problems, and uh, the fight was stopped. And it showed a lot of sort of symbolic toughness on behalf of not just Trudeau, but but the party that he represented. And, and just through this accident of boxing, and the repercussions of it, uh, two lives went two very different directions after this. And Brazo has struggled with suicide and, and some court issues. But he's a, a very interesting guy. And uh, I just wanted to see, I, again, just kind of looking at this odd intersection of where politics and boxing meets. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation we had. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You're, you're in Ottawa right now? Uh, no, I'm in Montreal. Oh, I'm sorry. You're in Montreal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm Canadian myself. I've been living in New York for 10 years, but I just wanted to start with you, where I'm sure many other people have, with March 31st, 2012, that you're involved in an event based on your shared hairdresser with our current prime minister suggesting a charity boxing match on behalf That's of right. cancer. Yes. So can you just sort of walk listeners in the United States who may not be that familiar with Canadian politics with what led up to that event for you? Well, essentially, um, I uh, I was part of the uh, Conservative Party uh, here in Canada, which uh, um, I guess it would you know the the resemblance in the U.S. would probably be the Republican Party if if we were to make an analogy. And uh, the current Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was part of the Liberal Party, which would be sort of the uh, the Democratic Party in the United States. So uh, I was actually in uh, doing a uh, television interview. And the person who was sort of doing the uh, makeup uh, prior to the interview was um, uh, Justin Trudeau's hairdresser. And she basically asked me if I'd be interested in doing a um, charity boxing event uh, with Justin Trudeau. And so uh, I immediately um, uh, accepted because at the time I was no fan of his. And uh, I think the same could be said about uh, about him towards me. He, he was no fan of mine. So uh, that's, that's essentially how it all started. Did you, did you see it in some respects as you representing symbolically the Conservative Party versus the Liberal Party, that it would be, like, that's how it would be viewed on Canadian television? 
Well, at the time, uh, to, to be quite honest, uh, no, uh, I, I did not at the time. I, I basically just saw it as, uh, you know, here was somebody who was part of the Liberal Party. And, uh, you know, given that uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, father was also a Canadian prime minister, I, I just viewed it as, uh, as uh, you know, an event about uh, him, him and myself, because we had, uh, at that time, we had gotten into a little uh, Twitter spat about uh, Indigenous uh, rights and and where we were headed as a country with respect to Indigenous peoples. Uh, and so our, our views at the time were at polar opposites, so that just uh, uh, assisted in um, in feeding uh, the entire hype about, uh, about the boxing. But having said that, uh, obviously, in retrospect, um, you, know, uh, you know, I was representing the Conservative Party, he was representing the Liberal Party, and uh, unfortunately uh, for myself, he won. <laughs> Well, and, and also for, for listeners that aren't familiar, you yourself are part of the Indigenous community, correct? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm Algonquin from uh, oh, just about an hour and a half drive north of Ottawa, but uh, in the province of Quebec. So I, I find it very interesting. I think two years ago, uh, Trudeau gave an interview with uh, Rolling Stone where he talked about that you were the perfect opponent, that your narrative and you as a counterpoint to him was the perfect foil. And I find the optics quite disturbing of that in some respects with you being of Algonquin descent and that the loser of this event would have to have their hair cut. Symbolically, that seems like a very disturbing thing that Trudeau would want to cut the hair of an indigenous person in Canada when he's made such uh, symbolic uh, overtures to reconciliation with the indigenous community in Canada. Am, am I off base in any of that? Well, actually, um, I, I just found that out about, uh, I'd say, roughly about six weeks ago, uh, which was just prior to the Canadian election that was held on uh, October 21st, that, that he had mentioned in an inter interview that... Uh, you know, it brought a lot of shame to bring a haircut to an indigenous person. And so uh, I wasn't aware of this at the time while we were training and while the fight uh, took place. And even uh, several years, uh, like I said, up until about six weeks ago, I wasn't aware of his uh, of his plan. But, um, you know, uh, with regards to uh, what, uh, what Justin Trudeau said in the Rolling Stone interview, I, I didn't say much except that I, at the time when I was made aware of it about two years ago, that I took it as a as a sort of a compliment, uh, but uh, having viewed and having heard and seen the video where he said that uh, he wanted to cut my hair to to bring shame, um, you know, it certainly uh, certainly left a bad uh, bad taste in my mouth, and um, you know, I'm still waiting for my uh, my rematch. Yeah, and why don't we just go into what transpired on March the 31st? Um, sure. in, in Ottawa, where you fought him, I forget the name of the hotel at the moment, um, <clears throat> but it's recorded on television. A lot of Canadians who are watching hockey switch over to watch this contest. Trudeau has tremendous name recognition because of his father, and yet he, uh, I noticed, bears quite a, an uncanny resemblance to Don Flamingo from Mike Tyson's <laughs> Punch-Out physically. Um, you are, as I've heard many, much of what I've read about you talked about that you had more tattoos than him and they were more menacing tattoos than his earth tattoo. And I think he has a, an indigenous tattoo as well on one of his arms, I think. Yes. Um, yes, yes, he does. He, he has a tattoo of uh, um, some, uh, I think, from, from where you're from in uh, British Columbia. Right. Representing those, uh, those indigenous peoples. Right. So you have a background, you were in the military, you enlisted in the military quite early in your life, right? Yes, I was in the uh, Canadian Naval uh, Reserves uh, dating back to 19, uh, well, I first started in 1995. As well as, as a teenager, you earned a black belt in karate? I do, I have, uh, I've had uh, a lot of experience in martial arts, uh, but having said that, uh, before I got into the boxing ring uh, with uh, Justin Trudeau, I I had uh, absolutely no experience in boxing, and I quickly found out that uh, martial arts and boxing, there although there are some similarities, it's it's certainly not the same sport. 
Well, and, and yet, I mean, the video certainly made the rounds, but at the beginning of that fight, the bell rings and you came at him guns blazing and landed a couple of shots that seemed to hurt Trudeau. Um, physically, you look like a much stronger person than him, and he does not look like your conventional boxer either at six foot two and sort of beanpole-ish. Um, but it seemed like you were doing very, very well in that first round. Well, the the, the game plan, and you know, to be to be quite honest, uh, in retrospect, again, um, you know, I I, uh, I underestimated uh, Justin Trudeau in that boxing match. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I was going to uh, easily win. And uh, what I tried to do when I heard the bell in the first round is, uh, you know, I took it like a street fight, just you know, go go for broke and uh, hope for the best. But uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I ran out of steam and I was uh, was quite winded. Uh, but uh, I almost knocked him out in the first round, even though we were wearing, wearing headgear, because I, I hit him with a pretty solid right, and I saw his his eyes roll back, and he he was up against the ropes, and you know, my head was telling me like, go for the body, go for the body. But uh, my arms uh, felt as if they weighed uh, 200 pounds each, and uh, I just couldn't follow up on having uh, on having a combination, and uh, hopefully to knock him out, but. Uh, you know that's uh, <laughs> and having said that, I, I have only personally watched the first round of that fight. I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Well, and and also you were going into the fight, I believe, a three to one favorite to beat Trudeau. Uh, that's that's what I was told. Yes. Well, and and so this is really interesting. I mean, it, it kind of blows me away that through the accident of boxing, Trudeau very briefly after this event. Um, Politically, his ascent is so startling. Um, so I, I, I just wonder, for you as somebody who was kind of a, a political star in your own way, uh, being the youngest, youngest member of the Senate in Canada, um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in what it represented to you to, to try to win this fight. Like, what were you trying to achieve in, in beating him? Or was it just charity and just friendly competition or did you see this as an opportunity to really go somewhere politically to use this as ammunition to go forward in your own political career that was ascending quite profoundly as well at the time well obviously we we did this for uh, for charity and uh, having said that uh, you know uh, Justin Trudeau comes from uh, you know from a very wealthy background uh, uh, you know he's a millionaire and uh, we were tasked uh, Prior to the fight, a week before the fight, to raise, uh, to personally raise money, and uh, I uh, outraised him. Uh, I, I basically doubled uh, what he was able to, to to raise. And and what's funny about that is, at the time, uh, he was not the leader of the uh, Liberal Party of Canada. He was just a member of it, uh, wanting to run for the leadership. And obviously, this fight, uh, you know, essentially uh, sented him to uh, to that position. Uh, but having said that, uh, you know, I I took this. Um, you know, obviously, I, I wanted to win, and I wanted to go for a quick knockout, uh, because at the time he was seen by by many Canadians and even people in his own party uh, who who approached me and were hoping that I would win. Um, you know, now that didn't happen, but but a lot of Canadians saw him as a tall, lanky, uh, skinny, and and frail uh, human being, which uh, just spoke, you know, often spoken in the third person and was all about himself and. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, even though there was a charity involved uh, for raising uh, money for uh, uh, cancer uh, research, uh, you know, here was uh, one member of the Conservative Party, one member of the Liberal Party uh, standing toe-to-toe. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the rest is history, but uh, it was certainly a... Uh, 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 it was certainly very competitive, but unfortunately for me, just uh, two minutes uh, <laughs> in the boxing match. Yeah, and, and who knew that you would be fighting the somebody who in six months would be running for the leadership to become the first person of color ever elected to become the Prime Minister of Canada? Well, several colors, in fact. Well, uh, you know, I, <laughs> the, the only thing I could say about that is that uh, I'm probably one of the only Canadians who got to punch a, uh, a future prime minister in the face a few times, at least. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing about those horrible pictures that came out with the various shades that he was wearing at parties and that kind of thing. Um, well, <laughs> that, that, that's how, uh, 
that's how dramatic uh, this person is, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, could we go back to <clears throat> where you grew up? Because I've heard in, in some interviews you've given and some of the research I've done that not just growing up from the indigenous community, but, but where you grew up, you faced discrimination both from your community and from white Canadians. And I'm, I'm just curious to hear more about your journey uh, to this event in 2012. Could, could you could you kind of tell that story for, for people who haven't heard it? Sure. Basically, I, I, um, I grew up with, uh, obviously, with hardworking parents who, um, you know, who instilled some morals and principles at a very young age that uh, need to do the hard work, we need to be ambitious, and we need to go after what we want in life. And uh, that's basically what, uh, you know, what I've tried to do for, for, for most of my life. Uh, and so, you know, I was also representing the Indigenous community going into this fight. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, politically, uh, the Liberal Party, um, for, for many, many years, have always said nice words about trying to do things for the Indigenous population. But in terms of uh, real action, um, you know, certainly as an Indigenous person, I had not seen that take place. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I had a, at the time, I had a lot of weight on my shoulders because a lot of people wanted me to win. And so where I grew up um, it was basically a thousand a uh, thousand meters from the reserve boundary. Uh, and so many people in the community, uh, because my, my dad uh, moved from the um, the reserve community when he was very young because uh, his father died when he was 15. And so he was left on his own. And so he, he left the reserve uh, with the hopes of trying to find uh, employment, which he, which he did and was a very hard worker, worked very hard all his life uh, and uh, became successful. And um, uh, having said that, uh, so, so many people in the community, because my dad moved off the reserve, um, would, um, you know, would criticize us uh, and w would say that we weren't uh, indigenous enough. Uh, but where I grew up, where in a non-indigenous community, very close to the indigenous uh, reserve, uh, then people saw me as too much indigenous. And so um, I had a little bit, a uh, little bit of difficulty uh, in my early teens and trying to find acceptance um, uh, wherever I was living. Uh, but, uh, and uh, things, have, th things have improved, but uh, it certainly marked uh, my life a little bit. Yeah, and <clears throat> currently you are the National Chief of Congress of Aboriginal people in Canada? Uh, no, I held that position um, from 2006 until 2009. Oh, I'm sorry, okay. and. So it, it's startling to me that right after this event, where Trudeau goes announcing that he's going to run for the leadership of the Liberal Party and three years later becoming prime minister, where did you go after this event? Because you're, I did watch the whole fight. I've watched it a few times. You were so gracious to Trudeau um, after the result. And... It did seem, and, and I have an amateur bo boxing background as well, I know what it is to be gassed, and it's a, such a lonely place to be <laughs> against an opponent. Um, and yet you just handled it with a lot of grace. And even at the weird haircutting ceremony, I guess that took place a couple days later, um, again, you were very gracious to, to Trudeau. But what happens after that? After April 2nd, and that's the last sort of filming event related to this this boxing match, it seems like you've had a lot of turmoil. It seems like where Trudeau went up, you had quite a precipitous, a lot of struggles that you were enduring. Well, I did, but, uh, you know, after I lost the fight, uh, you know, I decided to, to be gracious because there was only one person to blame for, for losing, and that was myself because, like I mentioned earlier, I one, I underestimated him. Two, I didn't take the fight. I didn't train for the I, No, I took the fight seriously, but I, I can't say that I necessarily trained for the fight in a serious manner because I thought that I would easily win. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just had myself to blame, and that, that's why I, I never said anything uh, negative about uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, really, except that I'm still waiting for the Liberal Party of Canada to thank me because had, had, uh, had he not beat me, he wouldn't be prime minister today. Um, but uh, but having said that, 
you know, for uh, for a few months, I had a hard time with the fact that I that I did lose. Um, you know, I, I felt a lot of shame, uh, and and I just wish that uh, you know, like many people, sometimes you just wish that you could go back in time and take things more seriously and be a little bit more focused and, and whatnot. But uh, uh, but my life uh, on a personal level, uh, not because of the fight, uh, other um, uh, outside uh, forces, but uh, you know, I had uh, I had quite a bit of struggles with. Uh, with uh, with the law and uh, with my own uh, my own personal um, mental health issues and uh, um, uh, you know several uh, several addictions, uh, but uh, but uh, you know I can uh, safely say and happy to say that uh, that's been uh, all in the past now for the last couple of years. Well, and 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 also I think there's this quite phenomenal redemptive story that you returned to the Senate in 2016 as an independent and you have a, a new child. Um, I read an account, I'm not certain it's accurate, that there was even a suicide attempt and some struggles you've had with mental illness, but it seems like there there has been a kind of redemption chapter in the last few years. and. Do you feel like the, the, some of this descent into some turmoil resulted from the aftermath of this strange, almost wrestling-like spectacle of, of getting in a charity boxing match? Like, did you have any idea that it could be as important as it turned out for both you and Trudeau? Well, uh, they, they, you know, a lot of people say that uh, everything happens for a reason. And, uh, you know, I, I had some very serious uh, personal struggles, like I mentioned, uh, Actually, there was uh, two suicide attempts uh, because uh, literally I was um, I was suspended without pay for almost a three three year period uh, in the Senate, where where I had uh, uh, false charges uh, for for almost two years, and then those charges after two years were were dropped. So I did regain my position, and so uh, you know things happen for a reason. I'm I'm uh, I have a one year old uh, little boy. Whose name is River, and uh, you know, I, now I, I take uh, life one day at a time. And uh, contrary to how I was before that, I used to be quite an impatient person. Like I, I wanted things to be done yesterday, if if they could be done. And uh, I think in life, uh, and I think boxing uh, certainly has showed me that because you know I, I took uh, I took the boxing match as a a game of checkers, and uh, actually it's a game of chess. And so with with the game of chess, you have to be a little bit more patient. You have to you have to sort of feel your your opponent out. You have to you look for openings. You you, you know you have to be strategic. And I and I was not. I just you know like I said when I heard the the bell ring in the first round, I just took it as a street fight and uh, you know go 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 for the quick knockout uh, as much as possible. And and life is not like that. You, you can't uh, you can't take those those chances sometimes because you underestimate. Uh, you know what the conclusion or, or what could happen, and so you know that's how I'm viewing life now. But uh, certainly the boxing matches uh, did, uh, in retrospect, uh, you know I can say this now, uh, did teach me a lot of uh, things uh, uh, about life as well. Did you think I, I've read accounts that that after you were removed from the Senate, you ended up working apparently at an Ottawa strip club, you dabbled in semi-pro wrestling. Did you think that you'd be able to return to where you are now? Like, I mean, you mentioned these two suicide attempts and many of the people that I've interviewed so far for this podcast have been very open about their own struggles um, with depression, be it boxers or, or several other people. Uh, I think it's helpful to sort of let people know how common some of these issues are. I think a lot of people forget, even in this country, with such a you know quite a remarkably high murder rate relative to other first first world countries, that the suicide rate has tripled the murder rate in the U.S. That a lot of people are struggling with pressures and depression. So I just wonder, some of those jobs that you were taking, did did you have a sense that you might not ever be able to get out of those that predicament you were in, that hole you were in? Well, uh, at the time, um, like I said, I had some uh, charges of fraud and. Um... Uh, coming from the Senate, uh, which the the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, uh, basically charged me with, and so, like I mentioned, I was uh, three years, uh, almost three years without pay, and, and I hit rock bottom. And 
and what I, uh, you know, what I experienced during that time period, I, I tried to get uh, other types of employment, but uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, when when uh, personal stories of uh, of uh, of anyone who, you know, when you're higher, you know, when you're a high profile individual, uh, and everything is broadcast, uh, it's not easy, and so I had a real tough time finding work. And uh, then an opportunity presented itself. Somebody basically said that they had a, a uh, you know, a, a job for me at a at an Ottawa strip club, and uh, had, you know, and uh, I, I discussed it with my family uh, because at the end of the day I needed to feed uh, uh, the mouths of my children, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a father of six uh, six kids, oh, wow. uh, and and so I, um, you know, I, at the time I had no choice. Uh, so, so I took the job, but uh, you know it lasted two months. Um, but uh, it was a really uh, tough time. But having said that, since I've returned to the Senate uh, uh, since uh, September of 2016, uh, you know I've been very open about uh, my own personal struggles, uh, about mental health issues, about suicide prevention. And uh, just about uh, eight weeks ago, I released a uh, research report uh, that was conducted by my office in the Senate. Uh, which suggests that uh, uh, three out of four suicides are committed by men. And uh, the focus of this research is uh, towards young boys and men because oftentimes uh, they don't seek the help that they need because of egos, because they were the way they were raised, because you know, sometimes men are, are, you know, are told to be uh, tough and you know, to, to tough it out and uh, not to talk and to open up about these things. But uh, you know, that, that's what certainly saved my life. Uh, and I think that the message, uh, you know, oftentimes it's cliche, but, uh, you know, men and young boys need to know that if they're feeling something, if there's something that is not right inside their, their body or their mind, that they need to seek help. And uh, oftentimes that could be the key to, uh, to preventing uh, another suicide. Uh, so I've been very open and I'm continuing to focus on that because uh, I think it's important. And, and having said that, like 75% of suicides are conducted by men. It's even worse in indigenous communities yeah. and in Inuit communities in, in uh, up north in, in Canada. Now, there's different reasons for that. Uh, maybe it's because there are remote, remote locations. Uh, people don't have access to, um, to employment or post-secondary education or whatnot. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, men and young boys need to know that it's okay to talk about problems any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Well, I, th- I think the... I think there are approximately 1.4 million indigenous living in Canada at the moment, and that's correct. And it's just the, some of these mental health issues, substance abuse, uh, in, incarceration rates, uh, the history of the church with indigenous communities. I think the Truth Commission recently said was a tool of cultural genocide. Was the quote? Um, what? What kind of responsibility do you feel you have to to assist that community that has, you know, needed to overcome so much historically with with kind of the injustice they've they've faced in in Canada? Well, the the, the first thing, and I you know I've been uh, I've been at this for for quite a number of years. Uh, I, I got uh, involved in Indigenous politics here in Canada uh, right from two thousand and one. Uh, I was part of an organization that represented the largest um, amount of indigenous peoples uh, in Canada. Uh, and one of the biggest uh, contributing factors to the, the poverty and mental health issues and, and what's plaguing indigenous peoples is, is the control that the, 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 the country of Canada, the government, the past governments have on indigenous peoples. Um, and it's still, um, it's still happening uh, today, unfortunately. Now, having said that, there have been attempts uh, by different governments, whether conservative or liberal, here in Canada to improve living conditions of First Nations people. But until, up and until, the government will still be the the father figure, so to speak, to Indigenous peoples. Uh, I don't, I don't think it'll work. Uh, and so there are huge changes that uh, that need to take place, and and that change is for First Nations people, Indigenous people, to have control over their own destinies and not having the government dictate or, or disallow or, or impede or, or put barriers in, in front of First Nations people uh, to, to succeed in this country. 
Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's interesting when Canadians look at race in the United States between the African American community and white Americans that uh, they just have no idea about the relationship between the indigenous community in Canada and sort of all that they've been through. I mean, my father was a child protection lawyer and, and my mother did a lot of therapy with First Nations people in, in Squamish nations. And uh, it's it's quite a legacy that's been left behind. I mean, it's it's just tremendously tragic, isn't it? Well, it, it, it's tragic because, you know, if, if we talk about the uh, residential school system where where kids were li- literally taking out, taken out of uh, the arms uh, and the homes of their, their, their parents and other family members to be put in schools for, for months and years at a time without going back to their community, uh, being forced to, to cut their hair, to, to learn the new language, not to speak their own language, and to be physically, mentally, and sexually abused in those schools by, 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 because of, of past governments and the churches, uh, is inconceivable, and and that has happened, and has, is having long-term effects on on children and get grandchildren of those people who went to those schools. And so, you know, there's not a um, there's not a one uh, a solution, uh, one size fits all. But having said that, uh, I think time uh, is what is needed. And you know, if it took uh, two, three generations for for this to happen, it, it might take two, three, four generations. Uh, for things to improve, and, and you know, it's sad to say that uh, it could only be time, which is not. But I think, uh, you know, like the old saying says, um, "Time heals all wounds." I've lived it personally; uh, it does. Uh, but uh, we just need the patience, and we just need to be very vigilant as Indigenous peoples to ensure that whatever uh, future uh, governments do for First Nations people will not uh, hinder the, the the progress that could be made, and and. Uh, Will will stop the control that the state has over its own citizens. Do you feel that Trudeau? I know he recently apologized to the indigenous people for their treatment historically. Do you feel that he has done much to to assist this? You know, to heal the country. Well, I I think that uh, in terms of uh, some of the words and the promises that he has made. Uh, since I'd say 2014, 2015, uh, brought a lot of hope uh, within the indigenous community. But in terms of uh, concrete action, uh, well, he, 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 that, that there's not much that uh, that uh, I feel personally that uh, that he's done. Uh, but now again, time will tell. Uh, he's uh, he's just won uh, a minority government, which uh, may may last up to two years. Who knows? Usually, minority governments in Canada last about two years. So we might be in another election uh, at that time, but uh, you know, uh, time uh, you know time isn't on his side uh, at the moment. But uh, like I said, I'm uh, I'm always willing to give people uh, second chances and see what happens. But uh, certainly, there's a lot of indigenous leaders, uh, men and women, who uh, are certainly holding uh, and trying to hold his feet to the fire in terms of uh, deliverables and and progress for First Nations and uh, other indigenous Canadians. Where do you see yourself going from here at this point in your political career and uh, what do you hope to achieve now that you're, you're, you're back in politics? Well, again, uh, I, I just turned uh, 45, so um, I'm currently still the youngest uh, senator in the Canadian Senate. Uh, and, um, you know, throughout these uh, past couple of years, even though there has been uh, a lot of personal struggles, um, I think I've gained a wealth of experience on how to to tackle issues, how to uh, you know sort of uh, uh, try and make um, uh, friends with, with different political parties. Because you know I was part of a partisan uh, political party before, uh, being part of the Conservative Party, and um, you know it's all uh, sometimes it's all fun and games uh, being partisan, uh, but. You know, when you look at life, uh, nothing in life is black or white, or it's either this way or or, or that way. And so, what I've uh, what I'm trying to do is just take it slowly. I'm I'm focusing uh, primarily on um, on mental health and suicide prevention, uh, but even that is, is very tough because um, a lot of people, a lot of politicians, uh, like to talk about 
you know, we need to to uh, to tackle this issue. But in terms of concrete actions, um, there's very little that that's being done. Uh, and so I have to uh, try and make allies with with different uh, individuals from different political parties, and hopefully uh, come with a uh, having a um, a national suicide prevention program in, in the future. But uh, that's a work in progress, and uh, unfortunately, it takes a, a lot of time. But it's uh, it's very uh, it's very rewarding work. Do you remember specifically what that low point was that you mentioned? Like, can you color that in for me exactly what what that felt like to you? What that situation was, and just elucidate. Well, again, uh, it, it was just um, you know uh, my, my ego was just uh, was just. It, it, you know, it just crumbled. Uh, I had no self-confidence in myself anymore. Uh, I had no money. Like I said, I hit rock bottom. And uh, I'm not a lazy person. I tried to get work. I, I you know, I, I documented uh, everywhere that I tried to get work. And, uh, you know, absolutely no response. So um, I, I was just, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, I had a lot of um, uh, legal issues uh, to deal with as well. And even though I was always, I always knew that I was uh, innocent with uh, the number of charges that I had. Uh, you know, one of the first things that lawyers tell you is not to talk. And um, I wanted to tell my side of the story when, when these accusations uh, came to light. Uh, but I was put in a situation where I, I was muzzled, and I understand why. Uh, but at the same time, it's very difficult uh, having people from the outside, especially if if you're out in the media and, and people are aware of, uh, you know, my own personal uh, stories and struggles, uh, that, that that was very tough for me. Uh, and, you know, I just, uh, there were, just came a, a certain uh, point in January of 2016 where uh, I thought that, uh, I thought that life would be, uh, would be better without me. I thought that my, my children at the time uh, didn't need to have a father always in the news for, for negative things that, uh, that unfortunately, or that, that fortunately were, were untrue. But uh, I had to live with this and uh, it, it wasn't very easy. Do you think, I've wondered about this a lot. Um, suicide is an issue I, I, I've written about and thought about a lot. Uh, I, I had many, I think there were three kids in my class in high school who took their own life and I've known several since. Um, it, it's just such a disturbing thing, but I, I wonder if I could gain your perspective when suicide becomes an option for somebody who's at their, the bottom, you know, struggling with the kind of things you're describing. Uh, I think it's easier to relate to that. Whereas the high profile suicides of Anthony Bourdain, Robin Williams, some people who seem to sort of especially in Bourdain's case, have like a dream job, a dream life and that sort of thing. And yet they still have this, this profound emptiness and struggle with depression. I wonder like what you make of, of people who make that decision to take their own life when they seem to have everything, whereas you're kind of at the other end of the spectrum of, of confronting the fact that you may never reclaim a life of, of, you know, something positive, something constructive. Well, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll speak from experience. Um, you know, when I got involved into uh, into Indigenous politics in 2001, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my, my rise was, um, you know, I started at the organization as a summer student in 2001. And then in 2004, I became the vice chief of the organization. And then in 2006, I became the national chief uh, the head of the the organization, so uh, my rise was was very quick, um, and so at the time I felt as if I was contributing, uh, that my ideas were were good ideas, that my solutions were good solutions. So I felt as if I was on top of the world. But then, when certain accusations, uh, both professional and personal, uh, came down on me, uh, then uh, you know after uh, after many months and years of of struggling with we're trying to accept that fact and, and trying to figure out why this was happening to me. Uh, and obviously, I, I've taken personal responsibility some, for some choices that I made, but not everything was because of bad, uh, bad choices. Uh, but it was very hard to, to live with. And so this is what's very tricky about, about having suicidal thoughts 
because in my case, it was not uh, pre-planned. It was not uh, uh, predetermined. It was just, you know, uh, one one day I, I decided I, I just uh, I took too much um, alcohol and and other uh, 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 drugs and. It was just a, a flash moment that uh, I just thought that it was time and I, I, I was done suffering. Um, and having said this, I mean, suicide and having these types of thoughts uh, could get to anybody. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, old or young, uh, man or woman. woman. Uh, it, it, it could happen for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, but I, at the time... Uh, kept everything in. I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I, you know, I was supposed to be this little tough indigenous kid from from Quebec, um, and uh, luckily I, I didn't uh, I didn't succeed in what I was trying to do on uh, January sixteenth, um, uh, two thousand and sixteen, or eighteen. Sorry, January eighteenth, two thousand and sixteen. Hmm. You still remember the exact day? Yes, I do. Um, it's it's not things that you uh, you easily forget, even though sometimes uh, it might be a better thing. But uh, I have a pretty good memory with uh, with dates. Well, and and what do you make of the fact that <clears throat> I read fairly recently that the millennial generation now has the highest incidence of suicidal ideation of any generation recorded, uh, highest rates of depression, uh, and it just seemed and depression depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation like it seems like this problem which certainly in the United States is a national emergency is only getting worse and more concerning well i think that uh, you know obviously i'm i'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist but uh, i do have some experience with uh, mental health issues uh, and suicide. But uh, having said that, I don't think that in today's world that uh, social media uh, helps uh, individuals because, you know, I grew up in the, you know, I was born in, in 1974. So I, I lived, uh, I remember uh, the um, the late 70s and, there, you know, the, we, we didn't have no cell phones, there's no social media. Um, and so, I remember being a young kid and always wanting to be famous. I want to be a singer or a musician, which I'm neither or. Uh, or I, and I want to be an actor. I want to be famous, like uh, I think, like a lot of uh, kids growing up did. Uh, but but uh, being a little bit, uh, you know, with fame, uh, people are not, I, in my view, are not ready to. Uh, when it does happen, some people are not ready to cope with it, and the people have to have a real strong entourage and, and friends to to keep people grounded and I think with social media and people criticizing people using fake names uh, uh, people saying whatever they want behind a computer screen while maybe not being able to say it face to face to a person uh, I don't think that that uh, contributes in a positive way to uh, helping people cope with with criticism um, Having said that, like I, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm certainly not a, uh, a, a psychologist. No, I, I didn't mean it in a general way. I meant with your, your own personal experience with it, uh, just, just how that shaped your perspective of looking at a broader problem. Um, but, I mean, speaking of social media, you seem quite adept and willing to confront trolls that go after you on Twitter. I saw a few occasions where you enjoyed a tussle with some of those people that are not even criticizing you, but just trolls. So I just wondered, is that is that worth it, or uh, what's your philosophy in terms of addressing being a public person and the kind of criticism that's expressed through social media? Well, I uh, I, I used to do it a lot more uh, several years ago. I used to uh, any any time that somebody would say something negative, I try to bring that person back with with facts and and whatnot, but. Uh, Having said that, I've been uh, rather quiet lately. But you know what I do? Sometimes I, if I do respond, I'll, I'll do it in a uh, in a professional way, in a in a respectful way. Uh, but uh, having said that, you, you can't control people who, you know, nothing have nothing better to do with their lives than to uh, criticize everything they read, everything they see, everything that they they hear from uh, from somebody that uh, says something. But uh, 
uh, you know, uh, I, I, like I said before, I don't think that that helps anybody in trying to cope with, with the extreme pressures that, uh, you know, political figures or other um, high-profile people uh, may have to uh, cope with. Are we going to have a rematch with you and, and Mr. Trudeau? Well, I, uh, you know, like every, uh, you know, uh, when, when I lost the uh, boxing match back in 2012 to, uh, to Justin Trudeau, I immediately asked for a rematch because every, uh, every great boxer, not to suggest that I'm a great boxer, far from it, or, or that Justin Trudeau is a good boxer, but every boxer who, uh, uh, who has lost, uh, has, uh, got the opportunity to have a rematch. He uh, declined. Saying that it was just a one-shot deal at the time, I, I sort of uh, went after him uh, in uh, early October uh, after his uh, his blackface episode, trying to make a, uh, some humor out of it. Uh, but but I but I but I certainly welcome and be uh, I, I welcome a, a rematch because I don't think that uh, I would lose a second time for this uh, this person if uh, I was given that opportunity. It would be quite interesting how you might approach it this this go round. Do you think you would do anything different to the the first time? Well, I certainly would. I mean, uh, obviously, like I said, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't um, expend all my energy in, in the first two minutes. I'd uh, I'd sort of uh, like I mentioned, I I'd take it more as a chess match and uh, let him uh, perhaps let him fire himself out with his uh, his jab and. Uh, Maybe I just instead of going for a quick knockout and trying to hurt him, uh, maybe I'd play with him a little bit longer and uh, you know tackle those ribs a little bit because they do look pretty frail. It seems it seems kind of ironic to me that you're somebody I heard in one interview who grew up quite enjoying the spectacle of wrestling and the theater of wrestling, and it seems to me that wrestling permeates, especially in this country, our politics to an incredible degree but that your life would be defined in many respects, uh, not defined, but I mean defined to the public through a spectacle that seems straight out of Vince McMahon's imagination to launch a, a political career. I mean, Trump himself was a, uh, a regular participant in wrestling, which probably broadened his audience tremendously. But uh, it's, do you, did you find that a little strange that you would sort of jump into an event where there's just so much theater involved, and yet the theater itself became uh, something very real in terms of its purchase on political power with with Trudeau. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, I find that wrestling and politics uh, are are very analogous because you know uh, when uh, when the WWF uh, finally changed their name to WWE, uh, being World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, you know, when I grew up, I thought that uh, that wrestling was real. And uh, uh, but uh, you know, when I entered my, uh, I guess my early teens, uh, I quickly found out that uh, you know it, it was entertainment. And so, uh, you know, you try to give a good show. You try to to portray yourself as uh, as a different character. You you try and uh, and please the the crowd, whether you're a heel or a a, a good guy or a, a good gal. And so. Um, I think politics is very much the same way. Uh, you know, people, politicians, they're, you know, they could be very partisan with respect to what their parties believe in, uh, what solutions they want to bring, and they don't, uh, they don't detract too much from that. But at the same time, uh, you know, the, a lot of politicians uh, are uh, egotistical people, and they like to have their voices heard. And they like to be in front of cameras, um, and so I think that's why I. Uh, I immediately uh, jumped at the opportunity to uh, to jump into a wrestling ring, whether uh, as a referee or uh, just a little heel coming out of nowhere. Because uh, you know I, I've always enjoyed wrestling, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know I'm I'm five ten, so I'm I don't have uh, uh, too much of a big build. But uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to partake in uh, three uh, three wrestling events over the last couple of years. Hmm. Um. Do you want to address in any way the the domestic violence allegations? Just to clarify, anything there? Well, well, look, uh, you know, I had, um, you know, I was involved with uh, with somebody uh, who uh, who was from South America, and uh, you know, we went to trial. And even though, uh, like I mentioned, even though I had nothing to 
to hide with respect to, to this. It was an unfortunate, uh, uh, you know, series of events and, and accusations. But I went through, you know, to, in the trial, and unfortunately, uh, and I can say this because, uh, you know, I uh, I have the um, the written decision uh, of that trial, and and the person who uh, put some accusations on me uh, demonstrated and proved uh, in court in front of a judge. Uh, that she lied on three different occasions, and so um, you know the you know there was a charge of assault and sexual assault, and so the drop of sexual assault uh, was dropped. And um, this trial uh, should have actually lasted about uh, a week or two, uh, but uh, almost lasted a year. Wow. Uh, and so I, I was pretty fed up. Uh, I was pretty tired. Uh, you know, this was a joke, and the Crown attorneys. Uh, quickly saw that uh, this trial was a joke, and so I had uh, other uh, charges uh, as well. And so they basically approached me uh, and asked me to. Um, they basically approached me and offered me a plea deal, uh, and I wasn't going to take it at first because I wanted to uh, prove uh, my entire innocence. But uh, uh, after having uh, discussed it with my family and friends. Uh, decided to, to take the plea deal, and so I, um, I uh, pled guilty to simple assault, and the simple assault is that um, I basically took uh, my right hand uh, when, uh, when there was a domestic, uh, the, the, um, the so-called domestic abuse, but I took my hand and I just uh, sort of tossed the individual out of my way because I was going to work uh, that morning. Uh, and so there's a paragraph in the uh, the court decision which explains why I uh, pled guilty to simple assault, and not to suggest that uh, it's right or it's, it was the right thing to do, or, uh, but I pled guilty to that and uh, cocaine possession uh, as well, uh, and then uh, the other charges of sexual assault was done, and then uh, that's uh, that's behind me now. I really appreciate your your time and you being so forthright about these delicate issues. And um, thanks again, Patrick. And and I wish you I wish you all the best in in the future. Well, my pleasure. And thanks for taking the time. And uh, I wish you well. And hopefully we uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll get together someday. Look forward to it. Thanks again, Patrick. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers for this show are George Alarcon Swaby, Dolgan Media, myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler, and our audio editor is Anda Salaji. Thanks for listening.